Have you heard of Olivia, the travel company for lesbians and LGBTQ plus women? You know what they say, wherever you go, there you are. And when you're a lesbian or LGBTQ plus woman, you want to go on vacation, let your hair down and be your unique self. Olivia Travel creates full takeovers of their cruise, resort, riverboat, and adventure vacations. So you'll spend the week with LGBTQ plus women who come from all different backgrounds yet have so much in common. It's life-changing to be in the majority on your vacation. You don't know until you go. Discover Olivia for yourself at olivia.com or through the link in our show notes. Save $100 on your next Olivia booking with promo code CRUISING. It's Chicago, 1981. Agents of the Naval Investigative Service, or NIS, were searching desperately for a woman named Dorothy. This was part of a larger quest to uncover homosexuals in the military, something that, in the 1980s, they were a bit obsessed with. So the NIS started to notice that all of these gay men were referring to themselves as friends of Dorothy. Naturally, they decided there must be a woman named Dorothy in the Chicago area at the center of a huge ring of homosexuals in the military. They tried to track her down, but of course, failed. Because there was no Dorothy. Not in the way the NIS thought. Toto? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Judy Garland's character in The Wizard of Oz was called Dorothy. This is historian Lillian Faderman. Friends of Dorothy was an underground term that related to The Wizard of Oz and Dorothy and, of course, Judy Garland and the idea that if you were gay, particularly if you were a gay male, of course you loved Judy Garland and, of course, you loved The Wizard of Oz. We must be over the rainbow. It was dangerous to talk about uh, being gay in other eras in the mid-20th century. So it was kind of a a way to uh, describe to another gay person that somebody was gay by saying, oh, that's a friend of Dorothy's. (laughs) So are you a friend of Dorothy's? And if the person was gay, surely... He or she would know that the reference was to The Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland and Judy Garland being a gay icon. The phrase would have been popularized sometime after the release of the 1939 movie. But there is some evidence of its use before that in the early 1920s and 1930s. Another theory is that the phrase originally referred to a real woman named Dorothy, Dorothy Parker. Parker was a writer and critic based in New York who had large circles of gay male friends. She was known to host opulent parties during Prohibition, and supposedly, gay men used the code Friend of Dorothy to get in. Today, somewhere between 80 and 100 years later, it's not a phrase you hear very often. I should tell you that (laughs) at one point, it must have been maybe six years ago, I had just finished a book and I was exhausted. And Phyllis said, let's do something that would be relaxing. Phyllis is Lillian's partner of over 50 years. The pair decided to go on a cruise around the Mediterranean. And it said something like every Thursday at five o'clock in this uh, lovely lounge at the top of the ship, there'd be uh, a cocktail hour with friends of Dorothy. 
And so we knew what that meant, but we were probably the only ones who knew what that meant. So we showed up and we were the only gay people who showed up. <laughs> so I think the term is kind of lost to uh, history now. But this isn't entirely true. Perhaps the phrase has lost its original purpose as code, but the cultural reference lives on. Like in the namesake of Chicago's newest lesbian bar, Dorothy Downstairs. Yeah, the every friend of Dorothy. I mean, it was always, even before we declared it as a lesbian bar, it was always a nod. Dorothy was named Hard Stop because of friend of Dorothy. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and this season, we're taking you to lesbian bars past and present. This is Dorothy Downstairs. Although you won't need a secret password to get in, Dorothy Downstairs is modeled as a speakeasy. To find it, you have to know exactly where you're going and what you're looking for. There's no sign for the bar, just a red door with yellow lettering that says lounge. Okay, should we go in? Hi. Behind the door is a long hallway leading to a staircase that descends into the basement. And you walk down into what feels like another era. The vibe for Dorothy was like always so much to it, like upholstery, the fabric, like plushness and like lushness. Like it had to be comfortable, almost like the 1970s through like a 1940s Hollywood starlet kind of lens of like, you know, what What would it feel like if we were talking about those timelines? So like that kind of vibe. This is Zoe Shore, the owner of Dorothy Downstairs. She has definitely achieved Dorothy's ephemeral 1940s to 70s vibe with a touch of the roaring 20s. Glimmering disco balls hang from the ceiling and there's a vintage electric organ and a baby grand piano. This piano was here. This was actually kind of gifted to me by my landlord. I think it's like a baby grand piano, which is very cool. He manages bands, so he, I think that's why he had it down here. So we keep it tuned, and we always hope somebody's just going to walk in and start playing, but that hasn't really happened yet, so we've had a few people play during performances. The seating options feel limitless. A huge U-shaped orange plush couch sits across from the bar. And that sofa came across <laughs> our lens from a local vintage dealer that we really love uh, Vintage Quest and, and Keith Maynard. And I went over and we hadn't finished raising the money. We hadn't finished executing the lease. And I was like, I'm putting on my credit card. And if this whole thing falls through, I'll, we'll have this sofa. I'll have this sofa in my apartment, I guess. Because <laughs> yes. um, I couldn't not take it. There are additional clusters of chairs and tables throughout the space, carefully picked out from different vintage stores. But perhaps the most unique seating option... And then there's the bed lounge here, which is really like kind of the heart and soul of Dorothy, um, where you can just like kick off your shoes. There's like little shoe cubbies here on the bottom, kick off your shoes and really just like get all the way back there and get really comfortable. The bed lounge is red and plush and fills a whole corner of the space right at the bottom of the stairs. 
It was inspired by a vintage photo Zoe discovered. There was this photo from like the 1970s of these two people on a bed that was like the size of a room. And at both ends was like um, canted upwards. So like you could like lean back and like one of them was on like a rotary phone and the other was like watching an old tube TV. And it was just like it looked so comfortable and, like, I could imagine 12 people on that bed. So that was the original vision for over here. And that's why we call it the bed lounge. Because even though it wound up being, like, more like large sofas, it was originally going to be, like, one big bed. And then we ultimately decided with the help of our design team that it was just going to be a little bit too limiting. Because it wouldn't be easily shared by groups. So as you can see, the, the bed lounge here now is, like, very divisible. Like, two people get up in there real cozy. You can have up to, like, eight people here easily. I've seen at least 15 people over here. The bed lounge is where we end up sitting and chatting with Zoe and also Whitney, the creative director at Dorothy. It's clear both Zoe and Whitney have been very intentional in curating the vibe of the space. And music is a big part of this, too. Well, Zoe That's sets the, Dorothy, the musical yeah. intention. That's and the Dorothy then, vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So we have like basically like like eras and and vibes that it transitions from like when we open the bar at six o'clock to like what it should feel like at midnight um, and then very much like let the team go from there. So it's like it's like 20s to 40s early in the night, you know, so you don't come in and it's like, you know, Um, it's real cozy. And then as the night and as the guests pick up, that's when they transition to more disco. Throw up to the disco era and stopping there. Yeah. The music originally was just going to stay all like nothing after the 1940s but we once it became what it is now it seemed clear that that people wanted a little bit more excitement with the music as it as it got later zoe's first foray into queer community was in the early 2000s i didn't come out until after high school so for me it was like right after high school that i sort of started dealing with it and grappling with it she grew up in boston and first found this community in an unusual place and I also worked at Starbucks, which was like a very gay place in, two, in the early 2000s. So I had like a huge group of gay friends that worked at Starbucks with me. So I started working at Starbucks the day after I graduated from high school. And I worked there for five years. And that first summer, I worked at two different stores, like one in downtown Boston, one in Brooklyn Village. And um, I made really good friends with two lesbians that like couldn't have been more different people. And they became like my two best, very different friends who were never in the same room together kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I just like I just made the right friends at Starbucks. And then I just like found this very queer, very Starbucks based community in Boston, Um, like became roommates with them, still friends with a bunch of them. And many of them still work at Starbucks in Boston. It was here in Boston that Zoe discovered her love for cooking. Well, the big thing for me was was Top Chef the show Top Chef. So when I was living with, I had a roommate who worked at Starbucks with me. We were good friends. We used to cook together at home all the time. And I was a vegetarian. She wasn't. So we'd like have people over and cook dinner and then everybody would sleep over and we'd make breakfast the next day after our parties and stuff. And I came home one night and she was like, dude, you missed the best show I've ever seen in my life. And it was the first episode of Top Chef. 12 chefs clash in the kitchen. I don't accept mediocrity. Get over yourself. With the fire to be number one. You don't belong in the kitchen. Get out. Who will be top chef? I had never seen food like that. We like our big idea of going out to eat was like going to Sunset Bar and Grill in Brighton and eating nachos. We're like, you know, what what kind of nachos are we going to get tonight or whatever? That was like it. And before the second season aired, I had enrolled in culinary school. So by the time the second season came around, I was in New York City in school. After graduating, Zoe spent a little over a year in L.A. where she got most of her in the field culinary training. Then in 2011, she moved to Chicago to be close to her youngest sister and her grandmother. 
And by 2012, Zoe had gained enough notoriety as a chef that she was actually invited to apply for her favorite show. You can send in something, but I don't think they really get a lot of credence. So the first year they invited me to apply, somebody just called me on my cell phone. I don't know where she got the number, but you know, it was like I didn't have Instagram. So she just some some lady called me up and was like, hey, do you want to apply for Top Chef? And I was like, yeah, OK, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, just my favorite show. Sure. <laughs> That's cool. I applied for Top Chef maybe five times before I gave up. Though Zoe never actually ended up making it onto her favorite show, she has found success on other food competition programs. In 2018, Zoe appeared on an episode of Beat Bobby Flay. So, Bobby, our next contender spent years in top L.A. restaurants. Say hello to Chef Zoe Shore. And then in 2022, she appeared on two episodes of Chopped. I make classic American comfort food reimagined. Things that you're familiar with or comfortable with, with a little bit of a twist. While on Chopped, Zoe got to meet one of her early Top Chef inspirations. Tiffany Faison, who was the runner-up for season one, was one of the judges. And I was able to tell her, be like, hey, you're a huge part of the reason I started cooking. Was like, she was who I was rooting for that first season. So like, coming full circle for sure. Over the years, Zoe's appeared on a handful of other food competition shows as well. Man versus Child that was on the FII network, which is like children prodigy chefs against adults. A show called Bite Club, which was on Food Network, um, where they went city to city and had like chefs from the same city compete. Do you like like the adrenaline rush of it? Like, oh, I love competing. Oh, I love competing. Yeah, I'm very competitive, but I also it's just fun. It's just fun to run around and cook and not worry about like somebody not showing up for work or a guest not liking their food or somebody finds like a hair in their food. Obviously, you have to worry about the judges not liking their food or God forbid they find a hair in it. But I just mean like the stuff you worry about running a restaurant is so different from the stuff you worry about cooking a meal in 30 minutes, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Like it actually sounds way scarier to run a restaurant. Yeah, it's much worse. And Zoe had plenty of experience running a restaurant by the time she debuted on the Food Network. When I moved here to Chicago, I opened a restaurant called Ada Street that I was the, the opening chef for. I wasn't the owner, but I was, I was the chef. And I was at Ada Street for about three and a half years. And when I left, I left to, to open my own space. So I started looking and I was originally looking for a built out restaurant space. I didn't think I had like the time or energy uh, or enthusiasm to build something myself, but I kind of fell in love with the space upstairs. So in 2015, Zoe began the process of opening her restaurant Split Rail, which lived in the space directly above Dorothy downstairs until it closed just this past fall. When we first moved into the building, there was a sports bar down here. So some of what you see, it's sort of like a 50-50 mix of like the bar itself, the flooring, the ceiling, all of that was pretty much as you see it. The bar was was bigger, but it was this bar. The walls were covered in like sports memorabilia um, and TVs, like more TVs than you've ever seen in your entire life. When she first saw the basement space in 2015, Zoe was drawn to it. But she felt like it didn't make sense for her first restaurant. What I said to my landlord was like, if I already had one, I'd open something here. Like, I loved it down here so much, but I didn't think anybody would want to come have dinner in the basement of an abandoned building uh, for my first restaurant. So, you know, I really had no intention of opening a bar that wasn't food driven, nor when I opened Split Row was I thinking remotely about what would come next as I built it. Have you heard of Olivia, the travel company for lesbians and LGBTQ plus women? You know what they say. 
those who wish to sing always find a song. And when you're a lesbian or LGBTQ plus woman, you want to be able to go on vacation, have some laughs, and be your unique self. Olivia Travel creates full takeovers of their cruise resort riverboat and adventure vacations. And they program every trip with comedians and musicians from our community. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll have the time of your life. Discover Olivia for yourself at Olivia.com or through the link in our show notes and save $100 on your next Olivia booking when you use promo code CRUISING. By the time Split Rail opened in June of 2017, Zoe was ready to try to turn the basement into a space for queer women. The turning point for me that June of 2017 was um, they had just announced the L Word reboot. I'm Tess. Shane. Yeah, girl, I know who you are. Everyone in the city knows who you are. You're like a living legend. I heard three voices. I really came from a background of going out in a different way, I think, than this gen- next generation does because the apps didn't exist and people didn't meet each other that way. And there weren't as many places to go, you know? And so I really like coming from, I grew up in Boston. There was like one place in Boston you went. You went on Thursday nights and everybody went. Didn't matter what time you were getting up in the morning. I would get up four in the morning to work the next day at five, almost every week. And I still, every Thursday night I was at Toast. Um, Then I moved to New York that had a few more options. Then to LA that definitely had more options, but still it was a night. It was a night here, it was a night there. It was machine on Thursdays, girl bar on Fridays. You know, that is how I sort of came up going out as a young queer person. But coming to visit Chicago before I lived here, there was a bar up in Andersonville called Tees, and it was just women all the time. And it wasn't a nightclub. It wasn't crazy loud music. Um, It was like a pool table, and you could drink a high life. And it was like chill. And I was like really blown away by it. And so I always thought like it would be so cool to have more places like that, where it was gay all the time or for women all the time. Um, But really, it was like, I saw the reboot of The L Word and I was like, man, it's our time right now. Like the the level of acceptance has changed so much over the last decade. You know, people miss the lesbians from The L Word enough that they're bringing them back. And that was really exciting. Then it took two years for them to actually put the show together and actually come out with it. But that was really the turning point for me where I was like, okay, we now is the time to do this. We opened Split Rail in June of 2017, and basically the next week, I was like, all right, how do we get this basement thing to be ours? And so we started negotiating with our landlords in June of 2017. Seven months after that, Whitney entered the picture. So I joined uh, the restaurant in January of 2018. Um, I was working in a corporate sales job, and I wanted to open my own event space. So I left the nine-to-five world and ended up applying for restaurant work so I could open up space in my day in order to pursue it. And um, that's how I met Zoe in my interview, um, during which she offered me a job. And once I explained my goals, uh, offered help and asked how how we could help. Um, We as in the restaurant, which is now we. Not to be confused with we as in Zoe and Whitney, who are now also a we. Because, yes, they're together. What became Dorothy is actually a huge part of our origin story. I got hired as a server assistant. And at that time, the restaurant was a little bit different then. We were like fancier and fussier. And I was a lot angrier. Yes. 
but that's okay. I'm just, I mean, I'm just sharing the background. Um, so yeah, so naturally like we, we started to form a connection just in conversations and, you know, cause we just worked on the line, like right next to each other, not on the cooking line, but at the, the other side, the, on the other side. And so then I, I joined the server team. We were, you know, we were just becoming closer in general. I've changed a lot in the years we've known each other, um, but I'm not like a like a huge people person, and I take work very seriously. I mean, now I've like learned to mellow out because people will just quit otherwise. But I take work really seriously, and I'm not like a big small talk person. But so every now and again, I'll just ask people personal questions, like things like "What's your favorite movie?" or something like engaging conversation with people in the middle of a shift, which is just like not very common. But it's just like kind of how I got to know people, know people, and I feel like every time I asked you a question, I just like wanted to know more about you. And then, you know, the first time we hung out together right away, it felt like there was never enough time. Like we could hang out for hours after work and still it just wasn't enough. You know, in the restaurant industry, you get done after a hard day, you go out. And so we would go to our neighborhood, uh, sports bar called the beetle which is right down the block here and would just like hang out and get to know each other more personally and the team and um one night we were we were at the beetle and it was just the two of us and she said well you know there's there's another business in the basement and i said what and she was like yeah i, I really i would love to like do something with it i want to open it but right oh, now it's yeah we it's, had already i mean we were already in the process though i was already like under contract for us mm. but i wasn't telling people yet because it wasn't like happening yeah either way so she was like do you want to come see it and i was like obviously so we closed out our tab we came down here and the restaurant had been closed for a couple of hours we came down here there was they really like they gutted it so it wasn't like oh cool a sports restaurant like it was there was nothing it was like wires from the ceiling the wires. bar itself was still there the piano was there but on the other side of the room and it was just like dust construction horror terror and i was like cool <laughs> you know i can totally see it no you know and um it was that first night that we were like down in this space together that was like the really the first time that i was like oh i'm like in this basement with this one other person and it is feeling like a thing. And I was kind of like, we should probably go, you know? <laughs> and and I, and I think that's like what really kicked it off. Whitney's slight panic wasn't just about falling for her boss. Up until that point, I had identified strictly as a straight person. I had never dated a woman. I had never done anything, really entertained the thought. Um, and so that led to like a period of time of really being like, is this just like this really like interesting fascination about this person? And I am I wrapped up in this like new chapter of my life or like, what is it? And it was like, nah, girl, you're like falling for this woman like real hard. And, you know, like, like I think all people do, but especially queer people like found our way into like nervously and finally kind of admitting it to each other and then um, kind of went from there. So we had a exciting and, and challenging start. I mean, there was no alternative. We just couldn't stay away from each other. That's true. And of course, during this time, they continued to work on Dorothy downstairs, which would eventually open in February of 2020. We opened Dorothy for the first time on Valentine's Day 2020, which we thought was really cute. Um, and exactly four weeks later, we closed uh, Dorothy. We closed Split Rail. Um, I closed my event space. Zoe fired me. 
Um, oh, and <laughs> she doesn't like she doesn't like when I say that I fired. Okay, she she fired us all. We no, laid off we laid off the front of the front of house because we had so you to. could get so you could be first in line for unemployment. That's true. It was a really good move. Uh, before the millions of other people who were next in line for unemployment. It's true. Yeah. When the city of Chicago started to reopen in 2021, Whitney's gallery and DIY event space called The Martin reopened next to Split Rail and above Dorothy downstairs. And in The Martin space, they began to host an open mic night called Fruit Salad. We've had people come to Fruit Salad um, performing for the first time in front of the queer audience, um, coming dressed as their gender for the first time. My commitment to Fruit Salad is that it, I try to make it as safe as possible. This is Rain Thomas. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I'm a black lesbian. And um, I've been involved with Dorothy since they opened because we brought uh, Fruit Salad down here, the open mic I host down here every once a month. It's a queer open mic. It's meant a lot to Rain to have a community like Fruit Salad in a space like the Martin and later in Dorothy downstairs. It's huge for me to have that since I didn't really grow up having that. Good old um, religious trauma. There you go. The religious trauma Rain speaks of goes all the way back to Milwaukee, Rain's hometown. I grew up very religious, um, evangelical. So do you know what evangelical is? It's, you know, the shouting and screaming and fainting. Whatever goes to hell stays in hell. It's permanent. It's settled. It's settled. It's over with. The people on late night televangelist uh, telling you that Pokemon cards are evil and the demons will jump out of the card and into your body. Um, trigger warning because it's my mom. I love you, but girl, you'd be saying some stuff. Um, my mom believes that gay people cause a pandemic um, by getting by being allowed to be married. So that's kind of the type of Christianity I'm talking about um, and that I address a lot um, in my art, too. Um, I'm an installation artist. Um, and yeah, so growing up like that uh, with like beyond not just homophobia, but truly like severe hate for gay people for anything deemed unholy was definitely like my entire life. Rain has since left the church, but they've spent a lot of time considering why evangelical Christianity has such a hold on their mom. It's a really long history and I love talking about it. But if you think about golly back to enslavement days and how this was a way of really like a lot of the reasoning behind slavery was to save African people from themselves. And the huge reason was it because they thought we were uh, too amorous, like naturally sexually deviant. Um, so, yeah, uh, some enslaved owners started having church for these enslaved folks. And you kind of fast forward through like Jim Crow era, all of that. And um, church still became a really great way for black people to gather and find safety. Um, and as like time progressed on, um, white Christianity still kind of became a way to become acceptable. Keeping up with the Joneses, um, familiar with the term respectability politics, has a lot to do with that. To be seen as a person, you kind of have to play the same game. Um, and a lot of black people continued on with Christianity as a cultural expectation, I want to say, and never really questioning the why of that. And for my mom, I believe it's truly what she felt was right as a way to address trauma and as a way to like keep a community together and keep her family together. Rain's mom homeschooled her, along with her 10 siblings, up until Rain started high school. Her theory was because God is not allowed in schools, 
I will keep you at home so you can pray while you um, are being schooled. So we would read the Bible every day. I think I've read the Bible three times in my lifetime. And then I went to um, a Catholic high school and kind of like, you know, started questioning things um, a little bit, but still was very much sipping that Jesus juice. Like me and him, like we were homies for a long time. Rain was always aware of her attraction to women, but understandably, it was complicated. I don't think I ever felt wrong. And I think because I honestly was too scared to look at it. Like I just, you know, I was just like, eventually I'm going to kiss a girl on purpose. I was like, you know, I don't think feeling this way is wrong, but I don't think it's also it's right either. So I remember like telling my one of my older brothers, like, I think I'm gay. And he was like, oh, that'll go away. <laughs> so I quickly just kind of like buried that for a long time. And again, like, you know, gayness is sin. Gay is going to hell. It's unnatural. So you don't really um, question things a lot in that kind of um, specific religion. So it's interesting the way that you have to work through internalized homophobia at, into your adulthood. Even as a young adult, aware of her own queerness, Rain had to process this internalized homophobia. I was like, I know I want to sleep with women and people who aren't cis men, but I don't consider them romantic partners. And until I can work through that, I don't feel like I should be trying to date anyone yet. So it took a long time for me to like, huh, what's going to like be the thing that clicks? Like, can I feel romance towards a woman or not a guy? Rain didn't rush into dating anyone of any gender until eventually it felt right. I had this super cute neighbor who I will not name, but I just, I don't know, she had this scratchy voice and she was this artist and Amelia was like, I want to like hold her hand and bake her some brownies. And then I was like, I'm gay. I can do it now. (laughs) I felt I had the permission to um, start dating as a queer person because I addressed that part in my brain that was equating queer people to just how I feel about them sexually instead of seeing queer people as people. That's really like how I eventually came out and felt comfortable enough to date. And this is when Rain came out to their mom. As any fire sign would do, I sent my mom my poetry book and in the front I was like, by the way, I'm gay and just mailed it to her. This is going to be upsetting for folks so you can like not listen. But um, she told me that when the rapture comes to come hide at my her house because I would be left behind and the there's a whole thing. Essentially, there's this task force that goes around to see if you have the mark of the beast or not. Um, and if you don't have it, they kill you. Um, so my mom concerned for my safety that not only was I going to go to hell, but I was also going to be left behind and I should go there to feel safe. And I was like, oh, OK, that's kind of what I expected. Um, and she did call me to talk about it. And she's like, I'll pray for you. And I was like, pray for me. How? For what? And she's like dragging out. She's like, well, you know. I was like, no, I don't know. Like, what, what's wrong? She's like, you know, for the stuff that you're doing. <laughs> I'm just like, I was like, okay, mom. I was like, don't. I was like, don't call me until you're okay with me being a lesbian. And I hung up. This was about six years ago, around the same time Rain moved from Milwaukee to Chicago. Milwaukee is pretty white, and especially like the queer and like art scene is extremely white. Um, I've always said that I don't want to walk in a room at an art event and know every person of color there. That has never been my goal. Um, and here I find it happening less and less. Um, it is not a compliment to me to be in a space with other queer black people. Um, and there's like two or three of us. It's insulting and like really weird. 
But here in Chicago, Rain has found an art community that's more reflective of her own identity. But just having more people here has meant that I could find community that's not only queer, but also other people of color. I cannot tell you what it's like to grow up thinking like you're the only black queer person. And then you walk into a room of like 300 people who are all black and gay and they're all dancing with each other. And it's like the most incredible, like soul rending experience. And let's not forget, Dorothy downstairs isn't the only lesbian bar in town. Last season, we were in Chicago to visit Nobody's Darling, a Black-owned and operated lesbian bar in Andersonville, which opened back in 2021. Never in my lifetime, a 32-year-old would think I would walk into a bar like this. Um, Yeah, they're super cool. I love Nobody's Darling for some of their literary events that they'll do. As far as, like, where I go for queer events, it's usually just here. Like, one, I already, like, I know Whitney, obviously, so, and my friends know this place. But for, like, queer events and, like, as a queer bar, this would definitely be my home bar. Rain is talking about Dorothy downstairs again here, which, as she mentioned briefly, is where she now holds Fruit Salad, the queer open mic night. Initially, Fruit Salad was upstairs in a Martin. And then we quickly outgrew the, the space um, each time. Yeah, every yeah, time. It's grown. So it's grown. So it was like once we got to 50 in the Martin, we decided to come and bring it down to uh, Dorothy. But Dorothy had been closed since COVID. Here's Whitney. January 2022 was was our last show that we were like, OK, we've clearly there. The, the word is spreading. There's a need. And so we're like, can we just open up the bar this one night downstairs, like even when we aren't really operational, we'll we'll run a half-assed bar. Like we have taps down here. Like we can sell taps. We can sell like canned cocktails. Like we don't we don't have enough staff to run it as a bar, but the bar is ours. You know, we pay mm. rent on it. Like let's mm. let's do something and let's start giving money back to Dorothy, who just had a sad year of being closed for quarantine. And so then we were able to allow in 100 guests and then we pushed it to 120 and seeing just the just the desire for the show explode, the queer community explode around it. The success of Fruit Salad empowered Zoe to reopen Dorothy downstairs as a lesbian bar. The Fruit Salad team was the biggest reason why she felt comfortable finally saying I can open a lesbian place and people and and the queer community will show up because they're already here Mm -hmm. and they're already loving it and they're already seeing it as a queer space. So it kind of took off and then we just like answered it. Dorothy Downstairs officially reopened back in July of 2022 and has been going strong ever since. Unfortunately, Zoe's restaurant Split Rail and the Martin event space have since closed their doors. But Zoe and Whitney are currently fundraising to turn the upstairs into a queer wedding and event space. There's already been at least one wedding celebration at Dorothy Downstairs. Zoe and Whitney tied the knot this past September of 2023, and of course, headed back to Dorothy for their reception. I randomly applied for a job six years out of the industry, and and now we get to do this every day, which is incredible. And Dorothy, Dorothy has has saved us all. So once we were able to reopen, once we reopened as a lesbian bar, the success and the community that has come from it, I think has just like reinvested us wholly in all of it. Chris 
Cruising is independently reported and produced by a small but mighty team of three. Story producer and social media manager Rachel Karp, line producer and resident road trip driver Jen McGinnity, and story producer and audio engineer me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. This episode was sponsored by Olivia Travel. You can find us at our website, cruisingpod.com, on social media at cruisingpod, and at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. Listen to Cruising wherever you get your podcasts.